Do the trashy pulp novels of the world have anything to offer? Our bestseller is all they're cracked up to be. Here at Terrible Book Club, we explore whether you really can judge a book by its cover or its ridiculous synopsis. You ever passed a book and thought, ugh, who's reading this? We probably are. Hi, everybody. This time, we read a uh, an interesting hunting novel. Uh, are you afraid of monsters, Paris? Do you like monsters? I mean, I think they're, they can be kind of cool sometimes. I'm not really afraid of them, what's, though. What's the coolest monster you know? Coolest monster? The coo- yeah, what's the coolest monster? Probably, like, all the eldritch horror shit that Lovecraft created because it's so incomprehensible and terrifying. Yeah, that's pretty cool. What about, like, a werewolf with sunglasses, though? <laughs> no, that's just not it's I mean, not that's cool. probably one of the coolest monsters to me. You know, sea, like, sea monsters, they have to, like, stay in the ocean all the time. So it's, like, probably, I don't know what's cool in the ocean to do. Yeah. So I, I don't have a really, like, a really good concept of that. But, like, out of all the land monsters, I feel like werewolf is pretty good. Because, like, I, he's based in the nightlife, right? You know, he's always out at night, like, at the full moon or something. So he's already cool for that reason. Right. And plus, it's like, you know, dogs are also pretty cool. So, like, those two things right there, like, already overshadow, like, say, a vampire who's, like, also out at night. But he's also kind of weird and creepy. He's, that's not very cool. Whereas dogs, always cool all the time. Yeah, but you can, like, reason with a vampire. Werewolves will just eat you. I, yeah, well, I'm not talking about reason. I'm just pure cool factor. So if a werewolf had sunglasses on, you'd be really into it. I'm struggling to, like, find um, um, another monster that I would think of as, like, more cool or perhaps more badass or even <laughs> something like that. All right, well. Maybe, maybe like, a, a vampire with a gun, which is almost a thing that happens in well, this book. Yeah, I was going to say, this book has both <laughs> of those things, uh, vampires and werewolves. Yep, um, it has so many other things, too. It has a lot of guns. Boy, does it have a lot of guns. Oh, um, so many guns and so many bullets. Yeah. Uh, what's your estimate of the number of bullets fired? Oh, oh God. In, uh, uh, Monster, in Monster Hunter International by Larry Correra, I believe. Correa. It's a Portuguese Co- Korea, last name. Correa. Correa. All right, um, well... Sorry, I grew up, I grew up around a bunch of Portuguese people, which is I'll which take, is why Lord Machado is funny to me. But anyway, okay. well, yeah. <laughs> um, so that's what we read uh, this month almost because this was like a really, really thick, buff book. Yeah, this was um a seven hundred and thirteen. I'm just checking. Uh, yeah, seven hundred and thirteen page book. Um, and unlike a lot of our its shitty predecessors, this book had decent font size and spacing and printing so like you know yeah, it it's a like legitimate 700 page book standard mass market paperback yeah. look like yeah. i don't think since like wizard's first rule do we have something of this beefiness to it yeah definitely not um so it took it took a while for us to read it i mean it wasn't actually it wasn't that bad i 
I read it. I don't know. I guess if you if you lump together all of my sit, my reading sittings, it, it didn't take that long. But I just had I just had trouble getting to it. Um, it was mostly the shipping time that killed me because it took yeah. like two weeks to get here. I think maybe because I accidentally ordered it from like overseas, like an international version of it. Wait, dude. because the the title is international, but like that was like also in parentheses off to the side, so maybe I confused. No, exactly. I mean, no way. Because inside the front cover, there's a stamp that says. Chapter 2, Ingalls Shopping Center, Highway 64, Cashiers, North Carolina. Oh, all right. Well, then it's just I somewhere mean, North Carolina is um, very slow. Unless it started there and then went overseas and then came back. It but... is Monster Hunter International. Pat. Yeah. So the, ba- the basic plot of this book is that um, it's present day. You know, this book was written in 2000-something. I don't know, 2000... you know, 2009. Any... 2009. Yeah. Um. So, it's present day. Um, monsters are real, but the general public isn't supposed to know about them. So there's the they're not supposed to, but like... yeah, but uh, yeah, we'll talk about the problem with that in a minute. <laughs> um, so the Monster Control Bureau is like the Men in Black of the government. So they're the the oh, wing. Oh, the Men in Black of this book, you could say. Yeah, the Men in Black were a government organization, I believe, in those yeah. movies in the stunning trilogy starring Will Smith. Yes. Um, <laughs> So they're the men in black, but instead of aliens, it's just like normal monsters, sort of. Um, Earthbound monsters or like otherwise, like, you know, your werewolves, your vampires, your gargoyles, things like that. Your swamp monsters, your... Sure, yeah, all these things. Um, So then there, but like weirdly, I don't know, I, I, in the book, I was wondering this, I was like, well, if there's a government arm that deals with this stuff, then why is there a Monster, Monster Hunters International, who is the private, um, the private organization that does kind of the same stuff? But because you gotta cut like, through that red tape, that yeah, that right. government just too slow, man. Yeah, like, you know. they, it's weird because they simultaneously in the book, the protagonist simultaneously talks about how like the Monster Control Bureau is like both inefficient, but also like their men are better trained. It's really weird. Um, but you don't actually see a lot of the MCB um, in the book. They kind of only pop in and out, and then they're in one of the final sequences. But uh, Monster Hunter Interna- yeah, Monster Hunter International, I can't talk, is um, the main focus of the book. And, you know, it's this private organization that deals with Paramilitary group that yeah. specializes in hunting down monsters. Right. And so they're not employed by the government. <laughs> they're a private organization. But, Chris... How do they how do they uh survive financially? Well, you see, the majority of the payouts are are uh the Perpetual Unearthly Forces Fund established by Teddy Roosevelt in the as part of the New Deal, I, I guess. Think it was paranormal is it perpetual or paranormal? Uh I forget exactly, but it's it's abbreviated as puff money yeah. all the time. P U F F. And that, that's basically like the bounty you can collect on demons or monsters or, that you hunt down and kill for a bounty. And different monsters have different levels of payout depending on how tough they are and all sorts of – and like it's not really superly done into except like, oh, the oh, yeah, you, monster you, is – You're right. It's Perpetual Unearthly Forces Fund. Yeah. I can't believe I remembered that. Yeah. I, I was – I thought it was paranormal, but anyway – but that's basically the essence of it. And that's they say that that's where they get most of their money. So the government sucks and is bad and it's ripping off the taxpayers with its inefficient use of their money. But 
uh, we need your money, government, please give us uh, your yeah. money. Yeah, so the um, the main character is Owen Zastava Pitt. Um, <laughs> he, and he is a uh, libertarian. Of and, course, yep. of, naturally. And he's, uh, so he has quite the pedigree. Uh, let me just lay this stuff down for you. So, yeah, just give me a quick uh, rundown <sighs> of Pitt's resume All right, here before so, the book even starts. Before the book even starts. So he's an accountant. Okay, and he was such know. such a good accountant that he passed the CPA exam first time. Uh-huh. Right? He is an expert in two conveniently undisclosed martial arts. Uh, so he's a black belt in just two martial arts. Shrug, you, know, you know, whatever. So, something. Uh, in pun- punch, punches and kicks. That's what he's an expert yeah, in, punching so, and kicking. So there's that. Um, he speaks five languages because he's some kind of quote-unquote mutt. He talks about how he has all these ethnicity, ethnicities. In, oh, my God. What is wrong with me today? ethnicities in his um you know in his background but they, you know, they like, never I... really specify so you really only find out that he is perhaps serbian or croatian because of the zastava in his name look everyone knows that when you're born with a certain bloodline in you that you automatically know that language yeah, right, right away so yeah <laughs> and, and it's weird because he only makes reference to like i think one set of his grandparents i think the serbo croatian side talking in another language so it's like well, where did you learn the other four languages? And they don't and they don't specify ever what the other four languages aside from English are. So that's weird. Um, I'm pretty sure he even mispronounces like a French word or an Italian word later on. I remember at some point him like using a foreign word and it's spelled out like phonetically. I forget exactly. What oh, it was. is parlay this motherfucker? Was it oh, that? Yeah, parlay yeah. this motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. a line that happened. Yep. Um, <laughs> So, so there's yeah. Some, there's some fucking uh, B moviness to this, and he, like, the author himself says, like, I really love B horror movies and stuff like yeah. that. So there's, like, a little bit of that, that, like, and I kind of didn't, couldn't decide whether I was down with the parlez vous this motherfucker <laughs> line at first. Uh, okay, so, all right, so here we go. So he's, you know, accountant, fucking sick ass accountant, sick ass martial artist. He's a fucking, <laughs> fucking buff fighting uh, accountant. Five, That's my new he's firm. A, a five, uh, if you need your checkbooks balanced and some stuff moved out of your house, boy, have we got you yeah. covered. So, okay, and he also speaks, you know, five languages. And then, oh, wait, there's more. He, uh, so to get through college, you know, like like all of us, he took a job um, doing underground pit fighting because yep. you know that's that's just what I did. You know, I mean, it's either Starbucks Look, or man, underground fighting, right? So you got yeah. <laughs> like those are Look, your choices. Man, you got to hit the books in the morning and hit a face yeah, at night yeah. if you want to get through. Yeah, and <laughs> also he, he fucking went to school and like grew up in Texas, so like I don't even know where there's a market for that kind of thing in Texas. I would understand it more if it was a big city, but I mean Texas has plenty of big cities. Like you got Dallas, you got Austin, you got Houston. Oh yeah, I any... think I think it's supposed to be Dallas. Um, anyway, Dallas is totally a big city. I don't know. Anyway, anyway, it's, it's a pretty absurd <laughs> premise, that. and um, you know he stopped fighting because he almost killed someone once, and it haunts him. You know, and of course. it's like, oh, all right, whatever. Uh, what else is amazing? There's oh, there's some other amazing factors. What I mean, about his like physical, like just like I don't think you went into like his shoe size or his bench press ability. Right. Or... So, so he tries to make the character seem like really physically imposing. So he's six five, three hundred pounds, has a size fifteen shoe, um, a four XL shirt, and he's like a sixty three or sixty four inch chest, and. 
I mean, all I can help but think is like, this guy is a fucking Rob Liefeld drawing come to life. Like, he's you know, he probably doesn't Captain... even have feet, you know? Yeah. He's literally that Captain America cover that everyone has seen. Yeah. You Google Rob Liefeld, oh. where like the chest is somehow bigger than like twice his head or something. Oh, like yeah. That. And so, and so because I was sitting here and I was like, wow. 63 or 64 sorry i just couldn't remember exactly the number and it it would take too much digging for me to check but it was 63 or 64 inch chest and i'm like that's a pretty fucking that's yeah. a pretty good set of tits dude because like, that's the thing i'm thinking about like my bra size and i'm like jesus christ that's fucking ridiculous so yeah. i was complaining to paul about it and paul goes wait a second where's the te- tape measure and like runs out of the room and comes back with the tape measure and starts pulling it out until it gets to 64 and then we we took like a, a an xlr some kind of cable you know to to get the measurement and then um he put it around himself and i was like what the fuck and then i realized i could also fit into that and there was still room so <laughs> like so like paul's a pretty sizable dude you know he's six feet and you know to 180 200 pounds or something so He's, you know, and he's actually actually a martial artist, so it's like, you know, if me and him can fit, and I'm not skinny, so it's like, if he and I can fit in this circle and there's room to spare, I just, no human looks like that. I mean, sure, maybe some power lifters do, but... But this guy... Yeah, you have to be, like, seriously doing bodybuilding, like, and, like, focusing on your diet and shit all the time to get anywhere near that. And this dude has described himself as, like, being kind of fat and out of shape at the beginning of the book. Now, if you've been, like, really fit for quite a while, uh, obviously that's going to retain even if you, like, lose your fucking diet that you've been on for a while. But still... Yeah, and, okay, and the funny thing is he talks about how he lifts a little bit and the author tries to make a point to make him seem really cool by saying, oh, yeah, he can bench 400 pounds. But um, I consulted an expert on this. So my friend Ashley Stenby, she is a uh, power lifter out of Las Vegas. And 400 pounds is a fucking lot, dude. So, like, you have to be, like, training regularly to get near that shit for a bench. Okay, but her expert opinion is that with his physical description, so 300 pounds, 6'5", 400 pounds is actually a really shitty bench. <laughs> So, I mean, if he so, has been like lifting for quite a while, like yeah, someone of that size could get to there pretty quickly, especially if he has a sixty-three inch fucking chest. Yeah, she she was saying that like there's no fucking way. She's like that is a really shitty bench, and it for somebody of that physical description. And she was like that that's stupid. Like he's really. But it's weak. already a ludicrous <laughs> physical description of like a right. human being that's so fucking huge that. Like... Yeah, but it's just funny that he's trying to make him sound impressive, but clearly didn't know what he was talking about. And yeah, he so... just threw in a bunch of like big sounding numbers. Yeah. At, at the at the, his description to create yeah. this sort of. Uh... I mean, you did say he probably doesn't have feet before, but he has a size 52 <laughs> apparently. So like. Yeah, I mean, and I really only know like one person who's. Uh, my friend Chris, he's like really obviously not you, Chris, but um, he's really tall and he has to have his shoes like special ordered most of the time because I think he's a size fourteen. So what the fuck does this guy do? Like, I mean, it's just really specialty stores, man. Like uh, again, I'm this. He's probably part of some kind of buff accountants firm, Buff Accountants Incorporated. Buff Accountants. Yeah, so this guy, okay, and then and then that's just or like huge accounts incorporated. This is just the regular guy stuff that he's like awesome at. And cool and like really cool with or whatever. Then well, the later book goes, in the book, he's also like the best marksman in the fucking world. Yeah, he's like, and and he's like the chosen one too in the story. As of course, always he's I the mean, chosen with, one with the sixty-three inch chest. I mean, like right, yeah. Who's gonna the top chosen that? pecs that you? Know. So yeah, 
So, um, he's, he has, uh, he develops, like, telepathy, clairvoyance, astral projection, uh, and chronokinesis, which is, like, when he is able to reverse time just by thinking about it with this weird artifact near him. Yeah, like, he can just so, use an all-powerful object, just, like, it's never really explained. What, no. Like, he's just, because he can, because he's the chosen special guy that has everything going for him constantly. Yeah. So he's perfect as a, re- he's like amazing as a regular human, both mentally and physically. And he also ends up getting all these supernatural abilities. And it's just like, holy fuck, dude. Like, really? Could you, like, you, God, make, making characters that perfect is just not fun to read. It's and, boring. And the funny thing is that the author, uh, Mr. Korea, he actually has this uh, website. I guess his books have kind of a following um although he hasn't updated his website in two years so i don't know if maybe his shit has like lost steam now but um he wrote a post in 2010 about owen's character and about how people have accused him of creating a mary sue in owen um and it's like it's like sort of a mary sue in that the author and owen have a lot in common but obviously the main character you know owen is a he is the perfected version of larry korea um (laughs) And Larry takes a, he's so offended by the fact that people have said this. He wrote a blog post about it. And, um, it's, <laughs> as you do, it's funny because he's like, he's like, oh, our backgrounds are nothing alike. Our relationships with family are nothing alike. I never fought we in didn't, Texan fighting pits. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't, we didn't grow up the same way. He's more libertarian than I am. We're not the same religion or ethnicity, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, he has a shit ton of similarities to the creator and it's pretty obvious that you know like for example the author is also an accountant he's also a gun expert and an expert marksman he's also also describes himself as like a geeky fat guy who's super strong inexplicably um i doubt he's the expert marksman level that we get out of pit in this book where like he's just nailing shots that impress veterans of of monster hunter international like from the start. Yeah, and, like, they also have the same thing where they both almost killed someone and got freaked out by it, like... Except, he... I don't think Larry ever goes into what that is, so no, I doesn't. don't believe that. I don't believe that. Maybe he, like, accidentally left the safety off a gun at a shooting range and, like, Um, no, arms. he talks, talks about how he fought off a youth gang in high school because he's just so strong, and then, I don't know, he what doesn't... Was he doing, what was he doing around the high school, though? Because he was in high school at the time. Oh, okay, all right. I thought it was just Larry going no, out there. No, no. And, and it's just like the style of his autobiography reads exactly like all the main characters text about himself in the book. And hey kids, you need some accounting done. Stop hitting me. Yeah. And, and it's weird because he addresses that in the blog post and he's like, he's like, come on, I was just trying to write in first person. And you know, that's, that's how you do it. You write what you know. And I just, I'm so no, tired for... of hearing shitty writers say that. Oh, you just write what you know. It's like, shut the fuck up. Oh, it's so boring. On one level, like, yeah, that they're by right. What you know, it doesn't literally mean, put your exact life down onto paper it just means use your lived experiences right exactly as a guide and, th- not- and that's the problem is that too many people don't do that um he also went to alabama to proselytize as a mormon although the main character isn't mormon um mormonism and alabama are like two backdrop pieces that occur <laughs> frequently in the novel um and both of the characters couldn't join the military because of uh, flat feet and allergies and asthma. I, I don't remember if Owen had asthma because I feel like if he did, there's no way he would have survived 
it uh, as like the a book. member of the Monster Hunter team. I think it was yeah. just the flat feet and allergies. It couldn't have been um, the asthma because if you have breathing problems, most of the physical feats undertaken in this book would be impossible. Yeah. And at a certain level, like high level weightlifting gets like really, really right. tough. You can do it with asthma. It's totally doable, but it gets very, very difficult. So, yeah. So, I mean, I don't think so. The asthma might not be the same, but they both couldn't join the military because of flat feet and allergies or something. And I don't know, like, he, uh, it's funny, in his blog post where he's railing against people accusing him of having a Mary Sue, um, he says that uh, he, hang on, I gotta, I gotta, oh god, I gotta find this paragraph, it's so good, because he's like, he's like. We're well into this episode, we haven't really begun talking about what the fuck happens in this goddamn It's book. fine, we'll, we'll get there. I just think yeah. we really need to talk about the characters so people understand. Okay, so this is, this is an excerpt from the article where he is defending himself against the Mary Sue accusations. Quote. Okay, so Owen has a lot of similarities to his creator. Does he fit the rest of the Mary Sue, quote-unquote, rules? Is he extra perfect? No, not even close. He makes bad decisions. He's got a stupid temper. His primary motivation to not murder somebody is based on the fact that it's too hot to dig a hole. Do I treat him extra good? What, you mean when he gets torn to bits in the first chapter? Or when he gets his ass handed to him throughout the book? The only thing he gets to be average on is shooting and physical endurance. Shooting, that, he's about a GM, which, considering his background, isn't even a stretch. And the toughness is a requirement to write a giant book filled with violence and have the first-person narrator actually make it all the way to the end. And I just thought that was funny because he does actually make the main character extra perfect. And it's yeah, weird that he doesn't totally acknowledge awesome that. He's awesome at shooting. Like, he's not average at all. <laughs> yeah, I know. And... <laughs> He's not, he's not like, slightly above average. Um, and then, he, oh... He, like, okay. outclasses the entirety of Monster Hunter International, like, in his first... One of his first shooting tests. Yeah. And, like, yep. the instructors are super impressed with, like, his, like... He, like, breaks records and shit. Yeah. Yeah, and, and honestly, they do make him extra perfect. And he does get treated extra extra good, as he says, because... Sure, he gets he gets beat up in fights, but he always wins, always survives, and nobody that he cares about ever dies or gets seriously injured. So and the like his injuries don't really slow him down for no. like at all no. ever like and, maybe and he, for like a, a, a couple of minutes. Right, and he gets treated extra good because he conveniently gets this like you know he survives a werewolf attack and gets offered this job with MHI and right, so and gets let's, tons let's of just... money and like wait wait there's oh, sorry there's one more thing I have to read an excerpt an excerpt from this thing. So he says, so how did, how did my Marty Stew do? You know, it's the male version of Mary Sue. Yeah. In the last year, two bestseller lists, four printings, two books coming out shortly, deals for four more, including being invited to do a collaboration with one of the top writers in science fiction, for a total of three different series sold. All that, and if I really want to piss people off, Julie Shackelford is based on my wife, and she really does look like Baroness from G.I. Joe. Yes, it is good <laughs> to be me. <laughs> Holy shit, dude. Are you full of your fucking self? Dude, uh, I got my waifu IRL, right? All of your arguments are invalid, okay? Yep, yep. I was just like, holy fuck, I Twilight need to read Sparkle that. doesn't even exist, homie. Neither does Hatsune Miku, but Baroness from G.I. Joe is a real living she's lady. She's my wife. She's... <laughs> okay, bro. Like, <laughs> I didn't uh, read that part. Yeah, it's... Oh, shit. That was in the, that was in the blog post. That's <laughs> It is good to be me. Uh, yeah, this guy, he's just... God, he's just fucking insufferable. Um, so. oh, man. I watched a cartoon when he was a kid, and he was like, I'm going to marry that lady, and like that's the only kind of lady he ever went for. Is like, he goes on a Tinder date with someone, and like, oh, you're pi in your picture, you're a brunette. What the heck? I can't, I'm sorry, I can't, this can't work. I, well, I remember, remember, she has dark black hair. Light oh, black oh, will yeah. not suffice. 
Okay, you know. <laughs> All right, so I guess let's start getting into the actual things that happen in this uh, lengthy story. Yeah, if you want to run through the basic plot points. Go right, right ahead. So I, we I've start done over um, in the law in the uh, offices of Buff Countenance Incorporated. Uh, <laughs> Owen is having a late night, um, and his boss calls him into the office because he's like, you know, Owen, you haven't been balancing these accounts. You haven't been keeping up on your protein shakes every day. So we're gonna. Ha- I forget exactly. It basically his boss has turned into a werewolf. Yeah, well, his boss invites him into the office to kill him and eat him. That's yeah, why. Yeah, yeah. So, and, like, Owen's immediately, like, my boss is such a dick all the time. I forget if he lays out any good reasons besides, like, I mean, like, everything in this book reads, like, a cliche that I've read before already, down to, like, dialogue, characters that exist. Anyway, I'll, I'll keep going. Yeah, and that's and that's that's why his refutation of, ugh, Marty's do isn't good enough. Because guess what? It's boring and it's been done before. Anyway, his boss starts turning into a werewolf, and they get into, like, a fist fight where, like, or actually, no, uh, Owen pulls a gun by saying, like, oh, I didn't like that no weapons in the office rule anyway, and, like, he has his pistol on him every day he goes to work in case there's an accounting emergency of some kind. Yeah, he's, he's always... requires bullets. Yeah, he's always, he's always carrying, and he always has, he has all kinds of permits to have guns on him. I don't, I mean, I guess Texas is pretty gun-friendly, so that makes sense. It is, but like, uh, do you really need it at your accounting office? Like, who? I, who knows? Anyway, yes, Chris. Who knows what will happen to and from the accounting office? What Bandits, if your boss Chris. turns? What if your boss turns into a werewolf? Then, then yeah, you'll then see. What? Then I was right. Then I was right. Yep. Anyway, so he shoots the werewolf boss a couple of times. It doesn't work because, of course, they're not silver bullets, which matters. And uh, so then, the way he takes the werewolf down, who isn't slowed by bullets is by snapping the werewolf's neck with his bare hands and shoving him out of an office window, which seems like a major feat of strength to me for someone who hasn't been working out that much lately. Yeah, he said he he said he still works out a little bit in his spare time, but he was talking about how he had, like, a banana and Cheetos for lunch and, like, how... I mean, it's a giant werewolf with, like, probably huge corded muscles and apparently just doing the old Steven Seagal neck snap was enough to take care of business. Yeah, but when they when they weren't... had this long, drawn-out fight prior to that and... But bullets won't work. Although bullets don't ever really work that well in this book, if I'm being honest with you. Nope. Like, they shoot a whole lot of them... But they don't seem to do that much. Anyway, uh, Owen's recovering from his werewolf attack when he gets visited by both the MCB and the leader of MHI, Earl Harbinger. Yeah, which, who, like, oh my god, really? Yeah, of course, you know, that's that's a tough guy name, right? So, and, well, no, and just, just a Harbinger, like... Yeah, and, and Earl is like, you know, he's got a fucking big mustache, he's smoking a cigar all the time, he's rough around the edges, as any big tough guy would be. Oh, no, you're thinking of, you're thinking of the boss. The boss is always smoking a cigar and has a hook for a hand. Earl is always smoking cigarettes and looks oh, a lot me, younger than he really is. Oh, okay, anyway. Yeah. So he gets offered... Uh, the the government is like, well, we need to make sure that you're not a werewolf and that you're not going to turn. And if you are, we're going to shoot you in the fucking head. And Which I'm also, fine with. Like, I think that whole... Like, okay, him beating the werewolf is kind of unbelievable. But, like, some of the stuff in the book is, is kind of cool. And, like, I do... I was kind of fine with the story arc at the beginning, you know? Yeah, I mean, it starts off... Like he can, this Larry can write reasonably well. Yeah, it's like it's not terrible. It, it, the grammar is mostly fine, and like there's some structure here, and like there's good story beats and stuff like that. But it's always like the dialogue and the characters that fall flat. Anyway, um, what are we doing? Yeah, we're there in the hospital room where um, 
Pitt is recovering and the MCB is just kind of like hanging out next to him and trying to see if he's going to turn or not. And if he doesn't turn, then they're going to leave him alone. But he has to keep really hush, hush, quiet about it. Please, please, guy, don't tell anyone about the werewolves or we'll come and shoot you. Which begins one of my first major problems with this book is that like there's a lot of people that just... uh, seem to know about the existence of monsters but don't say shit and like yeah it i mean it seems like an unbelievable amount of people have been able to keep this quiet yeah with- i i feel the same way where there's a ton of people who have been um attacked by monsters and survived or who have just been in the vicinity of a monster event and it's like how the fuck is all this stuff happening all the time that would be like for example it would be like if in 9 states all at the same time, there were little bands of military units shooting and killing someone, and it wasn't on the news, ever. Yeah, also, like, what? Because, like, uh, the only threat is, like, oh, we'll kill you if you mention it to anyone, but, like, a whole lot of people see mantras, and they, the government is just kind of okay with that, so at some point, it's mostly just gonna be, like, everyone knows, but they're not talking about it. Yeah, which I just, yeah, I also feel, find that so, unbelievable. So monsters have become something, like, just, like, you know, talk about and play conversation, like pooping or sex or something, like, I don't know. Yeah, it, it doesn't really make sense, because it would be one thing if, um, if the monster events were few and far in between you know because at first i was like okay well if something like this only happens twice a year in an isolated incident like okay it's a little more believable but as the book goes on they start talking about how there's there's like all the unit all the monster hunter units are all busy all the time yeah, because like there's always shit like, going on everywhere, and it's just there's like, like twelve uh, different squads or something, and like they're yeah. all out on missions all across the United States, sometimes and, even internationally. And the world, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like all taking care of business all the time, and it's like you can't isolate that many fucking incidents. And also, we're just talking about like the U.S.'s policy on monster hunting. What about like the rest of the world? I'm sure some government somewhere is like, oh, you don't give a shit. Tell everybody what you want. But... Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's so the... that just seems like roundly unbelievable based on the frequency and quantity of monster-related events. Yeah, it does doesn't make sense. They so... don't even have like a Men in Black style like memory wiper. They're just like, just don't do it. This is like, just don't do it. Yeah, or, or we'll kill you. It's like okay, and then uh, anyway. So does that mean so... like if I if I make up a story about a vampire that visited me, like the government might show up and shoot me in the face? Like yeah, I guess. Well, they would know what's real and what's not. I suppose you um... would think. Yeah. So anyway, you know, they wait around to see if he turns and then Monarch Hunter International shows up and wants to offer him a job because very few people, very few civilians survive a werewolf attack. Um, and the lady, so it's Earl Harbinger and Julie Shackelford. Julie is the uh, granddaughter of the big boss right now. And, um, you know, the big boss of Monster Hunter International. And they, you know, oh, and immediately falls in love with her because she's at first sight because she's a very pretty lady and she and has she, dark black she has hair a gun. dark she has a black guns hair and Chris. she likes guns like that's all it really comes down to for him and doesn't like... he talk about how great her boobs are oh yeah. He does. Pl- yeah plenty of times he seems to be a very bust oriented guy and like but he brings up like how beautiful and her physical features like every fucking time mm-hmm. that he looks at julie he's like oh by the way did you know she's like incredibly pretty she's a complete 100 percent gorgeous angel that is the woman of my dreams oh my mm-hmm. god julie yep and of course she's already dating someone so but he... he's a douche so it's fine yeah you know so he he asked her to stay for pizza or something and she obliges and, you know, come to find out it's only because she's waiting to see if he turns because it's a full moon. 
he's home by now. Like they've already yeah. let him out of the hospital. Yeah, they left. Like, yeah. They so, show up at his door and like he's like, "Well, why don't you stay for pizza, Julie?" And like she does. So yeah, because because she has to see if he's a werewolf or not. But yeah. he doesn't know that. He thinks like, "Oh, I'm real smooth," yeah. you know. And <laughs> turns out no. But um, you know, well, Chris, you wanted to talk about how unrealistic the uh, relationship building is in this with with I mean, Owen and like, Julie. There's no good reason for anything that happens like at the end of this thing julie kisses him on the cheek yeah at the end of their such a sweet guy yeah at the end of their pizza eating session and he doesn't turn into a werewolf so she yeah kisses him on the cheek and i'm like dude no woman who is in a committed relationship is gonna like caress someone's face and kiss them on the cheek like after no. like knowing them for like three or four hours yeah it, it was real weird and i so, guess even if like you serially cheat on your boyfriend or something you're not gonna just like lead the dude on like you would at least go for the dick at that point if you're that type of lady right i so, i don't know yeah it seemed pretty it, unbelievable to me there's um, really like not any in between where a lady's gonna be like well i'll just you know give this guy a nice sweet peck on the cheek for being just such a nice guy by ordering me pizza? Yeah, That's I don't... all he's done. He he, yeah. he took a job interview from her, and they ate pizza together. That's it. Yep, but you know, man, you just gotta, gotta kiss those you, cheeks. That's how you impress the ladies. Yeah. <laughs> Order and... them up a sausage and pepperoni pizza, and they'll just have to be, you know, they're, they've been wooed. So, yeah, so he, he gets fired from being an accountant because he brought a gun to work. <laughs> well, I mean, that's a yeah. valid reason to be fired, I guess, yeah. but... But, yeah, so, anyway, he decides to take the job, and he starts working with Monster Hunter International, and he joins the newest group of newbie recruits. They go to the um, headquarters compound in, is that in Alabama? I feel like it is. Yeah, pretty much the rest of the book is in the Alabama area. Yeah, and so they're they're training and whatever, and he's meeting the other, uh, he's meeting the fucking stereotype A-team, if you want to talk about that. There's token black friend. Yep. Uh, trip triple J, um, who was like kind of nerdy supposedly, but like, then then there's uh, the actual nerd, the Asian librarian, of course. <laughs> there is uh, the lady of the squad, who is of course a former stripper and super hot. Holly Newcastle. Um, and then uh, there was one more, right? Uh, there were a couple more. There was like the country guy. Uh, he's the he's the only person that dies in the end. Uh, Chad or Chuck, I think. Chuck, I don't know, man. Some fucking. But, but pretty much character. like the squad is Triple J, Holly, the newcomer, and Albert, the Asian librarian. Albert Lee. Um, yes. and then there's their their teachers. Um, so Earl Harbinger, Milo, uh, Grant, who is Julie's boyfriend, and he's um, such just such a rich guy, asshole, like the he's stereotype. A, so he's basically, a, like. Imagine every, like, douchey, jock, rich kid stereotype you've ever seen in a movie and, like, just plop it right in this character and, like, you've you've encompassed the entire character. Yeah, and he talks about how he's a rich uh, New Englander Yankee. Like, the whole book is, is um, you know, it's got a bit of a libertarian slant. It's got a bit of a southern pride slant. Um, so... Yeah, he he trashes him for being a New Englander, and it's like okay. And Grant like does he only does like one thing that's like not even really that bad to like, but that's like the characterization of him as like a jerk and like the justification for it is when they go on a mission, which is like the next thing that happens after Pitts impresses everyone with his shooting abilities at training, and they, we get introduced to all the newbies. Oh, and he and he goes on a magical out of body experience journey with his. Uh, 
I don't know, broken English Jewish tour guide of the ghost. astral plane. It, it, it's a Polish. It's a Polish ghost, Paris. Yes. Uh, yeah. So like, he starts having like these weird dreams where he like talks to this Polish ghost yep. that he meets in like a churchyard, and like the ghost starts saying all cryptic things, like, "Oh, just you wait and see. The bad things coming." Have a kielbasa. I help <laughs> you. I give you dreidel. That actually happens. He actually yeah, gives him yeah. magical dreidels, guys. It happens. Yeah. <laughs> so he has like an out-of-body experience and like he hears uh, all the senior members of Monster Hunter planning like um, a mission on this boat that has been taken over by vampires possibly. Yeah. And he has a dream about it the night before as part of this like out-of-body experience thing. It's like. And he sees them land. He sees the vampires like leave the main boat and take a little um, not what what is that called? Like a lifeboat or something? Yeah, just a, a small you know the smaller like lifeboat or dinghy or whatever. And they take it out to the mainland and it has the boat name on it and the Antoine Henry uh, and and he's so like it's in France, of course. And there's all these all these vampires. Uh, there's seven master vampires and and this gross thing with them with gross flying monsters and the the gross thing is is like the big bad bad guy and his name is lord machado yeah you know (laughs) which i just lord hatchet i don't know if it's funny because i grew up amongst all portuguese people as a kid and i just knew a bunch of people named with the last name machado so it wasn't like impressive to me it was just funny because i was like oh okay like I don't, I don't know i know that's kind of weird but it was just it's almost like saying you know lord smith you know like it's yeah. just not it's not very little, little aside during this out-of-body experiences the author makes sure that Pitt <laughs> sort of out of bodies over holly's bunk and catches that she sleeps in the in the nude and he's like nice and he notes that I yeah <laughs> yeah he's i was like, like he's okay like, cool un- unsurprising that, unsurprising that the stripper sleeps in the nude nice like oh <laughs> you're the gr- i think he so literally gross. says nice too like <laughs> or something yeah i don't i don't yeah. know if he does but it's it's understood that that yeah is you just he, larry just had to slip that in there like oh yeah this, this lady's like really one of those and larry and larry, larry korea is this portuguese name too so i kind of feel like he was just like yeah being portuguese fuck cool <laughs> anyway <laughs> so the the newbie squad goes on their first mission and uh pit is kind of like put in charge of sort of like the back end like cover their asses which is what the newbies are doing well Earl's main squad and a couple other guys and the, and the French like, the French team yeah there's a French team that's also yeah. like handling the thing and they're like they're going in to handle the vampire like the French team is actually cornered and trapped and like that's why Monster Hunter International is being sent in is to like take the rest of the master vampires out or the vampires I don't think they even know there's masters they don't believe because Owen starts telling them about his dream and they're like fuck you masters don't work together that's not real and then of course they find out that it is true uh, they go through this mission uh, Grant, Julie's asshole boyfriend, c- kind of condemns Owen to die because he doesn't, he like shuts a door on him intentionally because he didn't think that like he and Owen could beat the guy. So he was like, fuck it, and shut the door, which is a super asshole thing to do. But sure, you know. but like, I think it was also reasonable that Owen might not make it out and that like he he would just like hold them back or something. So it's not totally an asshole well, thing to do. Well, it's an asshole thing to do considering he could have pulled him up and then shut the door. But he just shut the door and said, fuck it, and, like, left him yeah. to die. But, of course, he doesn't die. He survives this crazy encounter with a, a vampire. And, oh, by the way, this book may as well be called Deus Ex Machina because that is all that happens throughout this entire yeah, book. Yeah, that's just, the only way. Like, shit just gets out, solved out of nowhere all the time. 
It turns out the French squad's leader got turned into a vampire, and like he's all like, oh, actually, it's really rad being a vampire, so uh, I'm on their side now. And uh, he gets in a standoff with Pitt. Like, the rest of the newbie squad runs away. They, they encounter, like, a regular newly turned vampire in the halls, and that thing takes, like, hundreds of bullets without flinching at all. Yeah, that, that thing was really hard to ki- kill because uh, a master vampire had turned it. So in this, in this um, world... If, so, if something really powerful creates you, then the creation is also really powerful, which, fine, I can buy that. That's okay. Um, but and, it literally uh, soaks up, like, hundreds of bullets yeah, and, I think, yeah. explosives even without really getting that much slowed down at all. Right. Yeah, and, I mean, the only way to really kill a vampire, and the only way to really kill a lot of things that they fight is to sever, you know, the spinal cord so to cut the head off. Um I think the stake in the heart still works for vampires to, like, slow them down. Yeah, so they stake the heart to get them to pass out, kind of, and then they can cut their heads off. That's their yeah. their uh, method. So Owen saves everybody because initially they're fucked, and then he, he like, fakes out the vampire. He also, at this point, he does, like, one of the most incredible physical feats ever, which is, like, he's, like, carrying someone up the ladder, too, I think. Mm. Like, there's a ladder out of a hatch or something, and he's, like, hanging by one arm he's and not climbing carrying- the ladder. He's not carrying anyone there, but he does carry Julie like that at some point later in the book. Um, but he's carrying his own 300-pound-plus brutalized body up a ladder. With, like, all, all the gear that he like, – yeah. they bring, like, assloads of ass loads and of gear. Assloads of gear, yeah. And he's, like, climbing it, like, one-handed and one-legged while, like, firing at the, the newly-turned <laughs> French vampire guy, which is, like, ludicrous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's really – and the whole time the character, like, Owen's talking about how – Oh man, this is so hard. I'm so out of shape. Ugh, but I'm doing these masterful feats of physical endurance. Like, like if okay. you're out of shape, like you have no hope of climbing a fucking ladder one-handed uh, yeah, with all no. that gear on you and shooting accurately. Yeah, like, not happening. <laughs> no, and uh, so he he fakes out the vampire to save everybody else by pulling a pin on a smoke bomb and the. The monster is, like, the vampire is stupid enough to think it's a grenade, but if that vampire used to be the head of the French team, he would fucking know that that's not a grenade and it's a smoke bomb. Yeah, I'm pretty like, sure they look pretty different. Yeah, and I was just like, okay, that that would be reasonable if it was just a regular-ass vampire, but it was the guy who ran the French team. He yeah. knows what a smoke bomb and a grenade looks like. Like, that doesn't make any sense, so... Everybody, he's, you know, he try he basically sacrificed himself for everybody else. And then, uh, you know, Grant comes by, says, eh, fuck it, and shuts him in with the vampire to save himself. And then, uh, you know, out of nowhere, fucking Earl Harbinger comes in and is like, it's cool, Owen, I got this. And, like, t- sends Owen away. And then he takes out the dude. Mysteriously. Um, like, you don't really see how. It's just, like, Earl shows up, like, five minutes later, like, I did it. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty... <sighs> pretty weird and um anyway so. that's like the first mission uh the, the you know i think like the the asian dude is injured a little bit like he's the only one that actually gets hurt at all like he's gonna get stabbed through the leg or something everyone else is a-okay holly was like firing rocket launchers at like stragglers or something yeah holly, holly was outside firing uh yeah she was firing at all the like uh the newly turned sailors who weren't as powerful yeah. i guess and um yeah. Yeah, it was. I think weird. Julie was actually with uh, Owen, like on his squad. Like, the, like she yeah, yeah, they were him. they were all and, together. I don't know. And, and then that, eventually, that's they... why he witnesses her like shooting prowess, and he's like, "Oh my god, she's the perfect woman." Yeah, he basically you know like comes in a suit when she shoots something, <laughs> and 
yeah, so that's their first mission, and then you Wait, know, while, while while we're talking about coming in suits over like missions <laughs> like that, because like the the description level of guns and the uh, yeah, detail level yeah. that goes into like how things are shot at is like almost pornographic. Like we're getting like model exact model numbers and like customization details. It's almost like this one scene in Metal Gear Solid Three where Snake like jizzes in his pants over like a really nice handgun or something. Like yeah, imagine that, I mean... but for a whole entire book. <sighs> I guess because Larry was a gun salesman at one point, so he would like know all these details. But at one point, it feels just like an ad for his gun store. Well, he no longer has the gun store. He sold. He uh. He sold out of the gun store. He was. He's also a mar- He's apparently like an expert marksman and a teacher. Um. I think he, I, I don't know. I mean, I read his autobiography. I think he said he writes full time now. Oh, and he works for a military contractor doing oh, okay. accounting. Yeah. Of um, course. Yeah, naturally. So, um, yeah, it's it's weird. Like, I mean, I think in some ways, you know, as a person who doesn't know a lot about guns, it is cool to learn something new, right? About something yeah. you're unfamiliar sure. with. But, I mean, honestly, I feel like he just throws model numbers and bullet types and names at you and you don't really remember it. It's just yeah, like, like... Uh, you don't. You didn't really learn much about how, like how to operate a gun or like the, all the different parts of it. You just kind of learn like names of types of guns and types of calibers of bullet, and that's about it. Yeah, and I I also don't really know the difference between all these guns. Like sometimes he goes into detail about like oh it's an automatic blah blah blah, but sometimes he's like blah 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 the 1911 blah 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 and i'm like okay i don't know i don't know what that is all right whatever yeah like you would have uh, to like a 1911 is a type of pistol like yeah so that's like i that's just comes from me like playing a shooting game on on my computer once in a while that's about as far as i go yeah on knowledge. so a lot of oh, there there is a lot of detail about the guns um Oh, and, you know, everyone always has RPGs on them all the time. Like, they're always just rocket launching. Okay. I mean, everyone's, like, super kitted out because this is, like, super tactical squad-based right. stuff. And, like, during that first mission, I was actually kind of into it because I've been playing a lot of this game, XCOM, that is kind of, like, this strategic tactical shootery thing. So I was kind of down with that. But then it, it be, quickly becomes just, like, action movie-style nonsense where there's a million bullets flying around at all times. Like, literally, perhaps millions of bullets are fired in this book. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I don't hate um, action-y parts. I actually kind of like reading reading stuff like that. But it gets, like I said, because there's never really, there's never any real danger for the characters because they just keep getting saved by all these weird, you know, out-of-the-heavens things that happen. It's, um, it's not that entertaining because you never, you never feel like anything is at risk. And also, like you said, everyone is just a stereotype that you've encountered before, you know. So, like, there's no life to anything. Like, there's not no. much originality. There's, like, a one little pinpoint of originality that we might get to in a second. But let's keep trucking along with the plot here. So, like, after the first mission, uh, everyone starts believing Pitt that, like, he has these dreams and psychic visions because it turns out there was Master Vampires on there. And so they start, like, really diving into his, I guess, what he's learning through the Polish ghost in pieces because... You know, ghost law is that you can't be direct with anyone. You have to be cryptic and, like, lead people on very slowly. Yeah, right. Which, which again, what the fuck is that about? Why is it's that always a thing? The Polish ghost is connected to Lord Machado. And because the ghost is also connected to Pitt, 
Pitt is also connected to Machado through the transitive property of ghostiness. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I don't know. So, well, like, and because he's the chosen one, right? Yeah, so. so he can, like, look into Machado's memories of when uh, Machado was, like, a conquistador that came to, like, early Mexico or Texas area, I guess, and was entranced by some kind of weird priestess in some Mayan or Aztec town well, something they, like they that. Well, they said that it was it was neither Mayan nor Incan nor um, Olmec. It was like some society that everyone had forgotten about, but is suspiciously described in very, like, Aztec, Aztecian fashion. So Yeah, that's the vibe yeah. that I got for the most part. Anyway, so he sees, like... Uh, Machado as a uh, conquistador who's just like an asshole. Like, there's nothing like good at all about Lord Machado. He's just instantly right out of the gate, like the evilest person possible. He cuts up women and children because it's fun to conquer things and to oppress peoples and steal their gold and whatnot. So when this weird priestess from this society comes up to him, he's like, I can help you to control everything, my lord. I can he's give told, you all the power of my I vagina. I can give you all the hand jobs that you would like. And he's like, oh, that sounds great to me. Let's yeah. see what you got, lady that just walked up to me and offered this. So that's like the first little bit of memory that Pitt gets about this super evil guy that's always been evil all the time, constantly, you know. Yeah. A comic book villain, basically. Like, there's yeah, never com- any comically sort of... evil, yeah. He just wants to kill to be a killer because killing is fun for him. Well, he wants, he wants control over everything, the whole, the whole world, dominion over all. Um, and he does that just through pure violence. Like, there's no yep. subtlety about, like, political maneuvering or anything. He just wants to just kill until he he has taken the ultimate seat above everyone. Yep. And so he goes along with this uh, priestess, Koriniha, I think is her name. Yeah, Koriniha. 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 I don't know. Uh, he's in league with her, and they're, you know, she's like, she shows him this, deep, she takes him down this deep cave and... um. Shows him this obelisk. Oh, I bet she took him down a deep cave. I bet she did. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's under... <laughs> I mean, it's said that they're, you know, they're fucking, clearly. Um, <laughs> and she's like, oh, yeah, we just need this specific sacrifice of this kind. And there's this, this you know, of course, ancient mystical poem that he feels he has... He fulfills. You okay, know, but, the, like, what, they don't really outline exactly what kind of sacrifice they need. They just need some kind of sacrifice. Um, I never really... They need a hunter. Any, like, a hunter sac- as sacrifice. That's what it is. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and the little poem, you know, the first time you read it, you kind of roll your eyes and go, oh, my God, it's obviously Owen Pitt. Like, it's the main character. It's it's, it's and, written in such a way that, like, oh, it could be Lord Machado because cause Pitt is named after, like, his dad named him after a type of Australian submachine gun yeah. also called Pitt by brand name. No, no, called and, Owen. And Zastava oh, okay. is a... Uh, Serbo-Croatian weapons manufacturer. It also meets flag in Serbo-Croatian. I don't know. But yeah, he made him Owen Zastava, gun, gun manufacturer pit. <laughs> <laughs> gun McGunner. Gun, gun boy. Gunny McGunner. Gunny be- McGun guns. I meet my beautiful gun son. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because apparently the Owen submachine gun was like what kept him alive in the numb, you know. So yeah. named his son that. I can I can only <laughs> I can only I can only love a gun. That's all I I know how to do. So if I name my son Gun, then I will maybe love him. Well, that's the thing. His father was apparently a shithead, and all he did was train Owen for the apocalypse. Which you know, coincidentally, he, he didn't need always- to be trained for. <laughs> He was always disappointed that his son couldn't fire hot lead out of his mouth. So yeah. you know, he never really lived up to the expectations that his father set for him. So, 
Yeah, so, you know, his, his father trained him for Son, I want everything. you to eat this entire clip, and if it's not shooting out of your <laughs> mouth at 500 miles an hour in 10 minutes, I'm going to disown you. Yeah. It, oh. But, Dad, lead is bad for you. Do I care? <laughs> yeah. Uh, we we don't, in this book, we don't get um, a whole lot of backstory on Owen's dad, but I think in, in the other books in this series, uh, you do. But um, anyway, so Machado tries to do this ritual to get all the power from the artifact, which is just like a shard of obsidian that's magical, I think. I never really nailed down the physical description of it because it was really vague and all around. Yeah, it was really weird. They just start talking about the artifact and then somebody's like, oh, it fits in a little box. And you're like, okay, it must be a little shard of something. Yeah, I think it was described as some kind of obsidian shard. Anyway, the ritual goes wrong because there's the Thrall, who is like a Viking who has been cursed to protect the artifact, which also no, makes he was no like, sense. He was like a sub-general under Machado when they came over as conquistadors, and he, like when he saw Machado getting like seduced by the priestess, he was like, oh, I'm gonna, I, I don't like this, and so like he follows them down when they're trying to do the ritual for the yeah, first time. Yeah, but he's he- also like a Viking. He's also Scandinavian, which makes But he, he talks no in sense. like old English. He's like thou and thy and yeah, sir. Like- yeah, but if you read the details, he talks about how he's like, he talks about like Valhalla and shit, and like uh, yeah, like, see you in Valhalla, may the, you know, may you live eternally in the halls of the Valkyries or something, so and I'm some just like, what? Like, <laughs> Spanish Viking conquistador yeah, like, lieutenant yeah, Englishman? Yeah, like, I don't understand how a, how a Viking, like, a Norwegian, Swedish, Danish, what, what Icelandic, well, whatever, Viking. There was definitely, I mean, the Vikings took over England at one point, so, like, there was, de- that's how you got Anglo-Saxons, and so there was some of that, but, like, also he's a Spanish conquistador of some, or a Portuguese conquistador, like, uh, well, well, no, but I just don't think there's any, there's any historical record of vikings working with conquistadors in yeah. central america like yeah, what I don't think th- yeah <laughs> i mean that's... i'm not i'm not an expert but i yeah please send in your comments if you know a specific instance of that because that would be kind of rad but uh, i don't well, remember the viking that, but... age also existed like well before the age of the conquistadors so like i don't oh, God, yeah the timeline is know. also all wrong because like this is like 500 years ago or something and like yeah fi- well everything in... everything happens in 500 year increments with this like weird curse shit um we're well past like the norman invasion of england by the time we're into like the 1600s and stuff i'm pretty sure oh yeah and by the way so so you know how we're talking about this all this lord machado shit um you know how we haven't really talked about those vampires from the beginning yeah that's because we can't reconcile how they team up with this dude yeah there's never really like no they're idea. just there with him and they decided to work together because lord machado is the ultimate evil bad guy, so all the master vampires are required to work for him for reasons? Yeah, it doesn't really make... Like, they aren't required to, but if they do, he he promises them, you know, eternal power in his eternal evil kingdom. But it doesn't make any sense, like... Why would they? Why would not one master vampire just go for that on his own, his or her own? Right, and why? And why would they do that? Because they vampires need humans to survive, whereas Lord Machado is just like this weird pile, like puddle of black ichor that just ha- like inhabits his old suit of armor so he doesn't require any physical sustenance but vampires do so why would you want to destroy the world uh, that includes your food source like that doesn't make any sense I, I, uh, I don't know yep well they're all evil so they're gonna all team up to do evil yep. stuff oh and it gets better so julie uh owen's fucking you know perfect woman her mom and dad become vampires 
that's by like the end of the book. So yeah. like, and, well, let's, let's let's go across to this like subplot here where oh like God. Julie is like missing both of her parents because supposedly her mom died a long time ago and her dad unleashed like the first instance of like a portal to hell because he was like doing weird experiments. Her dad was, was part actually of Monster a, Hunter. It, it was more like a portal to um like the realm of eldritch horrors less than yeah hell. so like here's the thing i'm like so her dad was part of monster hunter international and he's like my wife died she must have gone to the eldritch realm so i'll open a portal to there and go in there randomly and try to find her yeah i think he was trying to open a portal to the underworld but accidentally like fucked it up and opened a portal to that shit which was like but why, way scarier like, but why would you immediately because like at first like it's presented as like oh i thought the mom was dead yeah like yeah I, I, like there was a body that they found or something so he's like well i guess i'll just go find her in hell like he assumes <laughs> yeah. she went to hell like right out the gate like yeah it's pretty weird <laughs> and i i also just don't understand you know, and yeah, because they, they talk about her as, you know, they talk about her going missing. They never say that she's dead. They just assume she is. And yeah. the, the first time so I like, read well, that, I was like, oh. Obviously, she went to the demon realm. Like, that's obviously yeah. where she went. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's funny because the first time I read that, I went, oh, she's obviously not dead. Like, she's going to reappear somehow. Sure, but like, um, it was just super sloppily done. Like, it, yeah. like, her dad trying to look for her in that way makes zero fucking sense to me. Anyway, she appears later on, like, I think briefly after the part we were describing, like, after this one mission, they go to, like, some, like, uh, Pitt and Harbinger go to, like, some doctor's island who, like, studied places of power so they can figure out where this artifact, because, like, the artifact Well, that's, needs- that's where the, um, that's where the, the French boat landed, and they yeah. found it, and they were like, oh, why did they land here? And, oh, it turns out they murdered a, uh, doctor and his wife because they had information about it, like... But okay. why would they murder the doctor and his wife if the doctor was like... So apparently Lord Machado went to the doctor to find information on a place of power, but he just fucking kills him with, like... Yeah. Don't you want to keep that guy around to, like, do some research for you or something? Yeah, and so and so then the Master Vampires and Machado just start targeting our anthropology professors, which, <laughs> like, okay, dude, because that's what the doctor was, the first guy. And it's just like, what the fuck? Like, I make any sense and you but know why it's would like, an anthropologist know about places of magical power i don't know oh well saying. that i mean that's just something you study as an anthropologist like there are plenty yeah, of anthropologists know. who study um you know ma- magic and witchcraft and and i mean that's a basic tenet of anthropology so he didn't get that wrong but oh, all right sure um, i'll take you yeah i mean I, as a person who studied in the field i know uh, i'm not an expert i don't have a doctorate but like I'll ask my girlfriend with her undergrad anthropology degree if she studied witchcraft. Well, I mean, I also have an undergrad anthropology degree, and yeah, uh, studying death and witchcraft and all that shit is, um, yeah, it, it's a it's a road you can yeah, go down. Yeah, that's reasonable, like yeah. human ritual and like belief right, systems. Okay, right, right, yeah. yeah, it's it's actually a pretty big part of it. So that that makes sense, but um, yeah, the whole so okay again. But why would he, why would he murder the doctor and like not uh, like at least keep him around to like suggest more places? Or something? Yeah, and and it's it's weird that um. In the book, you know, these vampires and Lord Machado are, like, fucking all-knowing, super fast, superhuman, cool, but, like, they can't do research? They can't, like, go to a library? Like, no, that's beyond the scope of their abilities. And some some of them have been alive for fucking decades, and they didn't go to the library? Like, I don't get it. I mean, everyone knows vampires can't read. That, right? That's, yeah, know, they're <laughs> illiterate. You lose your ability to read when you become a vampire. It's like one of the, the things they don't like to, to talk about a whole lot. It's like a taboo. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
and and again, there's really no clear. Yeah, it doesn't really make sense why the vampires would want to completely destroy their food source to have total power because then they wouldn't they wouldn't be able to survive. So it doesn't really make sense. All of the villains' motivations in this book make absolutely zero fucking sense. Like unless you're just keeping it down to like, well, they're evil people, so they want to destroy all existence. That like... yeah, I mean, and that and that's the thing. I mean, this this book is written for. Gun nuts on the internet who like action. That's what the author said. So. And so, they, you know, a monster is a legitimate thing to fire a gun at. Finally, I can fire all of my guns mm-hmm. at something. Yeah. And um, it's weird because the author constantly talks about how Owen isn't smart. He's a big, dumb guy. He's a big, dumb, stupid oaf. But it's <laughs> like, th- that doesn't make sense. If he's if he's a, he has a black belt in two martial arts. He's an accountant who passed the CPA exam the first polyglot time. Polyglot of five languages. He's, yeah, polyglot, fi- knowing five languages. He's, um, you know, skilled in all this combat. Like, he's obviously not stupid. Like, it doesn't, that doesn't make any sense, but he's always but throwing that, that in there. But that doesn't fit the big, dumb, oaf, strong man, sensitive guy stereotype. Well, he's not really a sensitive guy. He's an aggressive guy, but. Yeah. Um, Again, everything's just a walking cliche. Anyway, after this like little encounter, I think that uh, the next beat is probably when Julie's mom, the master vampire, attacks um, Owen and like the newbie squad and some other people who are like somewhere. They're not at the compound. They're like somewhere else. They're at Julie's, the Shackleford family home. Oh, yeah. So like the mom actually comes back and like the way she decides to begin her attack is by trying to fuck Owen. Yeah, because she tries to pretend that she's Julie, and he almost falls for it, which is hilarious. Because her and her mom look very similar. Somewhere and it was, like, in the dark or something. But, like, why would a master vampire who's going there to, like, kill up and murder a bunch of people be like, you know what, I'm going to get some dick real quick while I'm starting here or something? Yeah, it's, it's, again, it's this problem in movies and books where all these fabulously powerful monsters who could murder anybody at a moment's notice just don't like they just don't do it they just they're they're bumbling or they just decide not to it they it's just like toy ugh. with their food first by sucking his dick for yeah, a little while yeah it doesn't it doesn't you really want to get the flavor out you know like yeah. you can't really experience all. yeah got to salt that meat right uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah it doesn't it just doesn't make any sense and and honestly i can't really blame larry korea because this is something that happens like i said in just about every story where you know the main characters conveniently survive and are never really killed but the monsters have no problem killing off side characters with literally a flick of the wrist sometimes you know yeah without barely flinching at all yeah and that trope persists in these books um but you know. Julie's mom attacks and she takes like a um, hundred thousand bullets to her face. Oh, but she, those magic dreidels do her in. Yeah, like but like oh, Pitt throws a magic dreidel at her, which burns her really good or something. <laughs> I just can't believe that's so. That's another thing where like all, all the all the matzo ball magic. Packed yeah, into that the, dreidel. the the Jewish ghost guy, who is like a very likable character. He's he's you know he's cool whatever, but. Yeah, he whittles things when he meets up with Owen in their weird astral projection dreams and whittles these little uh, dreidels and gives them to Owen. And somehow they cross over from the astral plane to the physical because Owen puts them in his pocket. 
and then they're there, really there's a effective. bunch of stuff that happens with the ghost because like he also like saves him from drowning at first in that. Like, oh my god, scene. I was so mad about that. I was so, I was so like, mad. You're not establishing any clear rules of like can the ghost go into reality? Is it just yeah. a dream thing? Like, it's all it's all just when it's convenient. Like I said, it's all yeah. Deus Ex Machina shit. Like yeah, and like also the Polish ghost dies like four times. He's like, I can't help you anymore. I have to fade away forever. Oh and wait, I'm like, back. And then an hour later, he, like, pops up in Owen's head again to, like, help him out of a jam again. Yeah, it's... it's So, the fucking Jewish ghost saves him. Uh, I like how you say Jewish ghost and I say Polish ghost. Because... Well, because they really harp on the fact that he's Jewish because, once again, you can't have a fantasy monster book without evil Nazis, guys. They made yep, their return. Yep. They're back. Uh-huh. Evil Nazis. <laughs> They, they, they've Nazis. come back in real life too. Actually, in real life, they've also come back. Yeah, so, it's you know. true. It's true. You know, I guess I can't. I can't malign Korea too much for that because hey, that's just 2017. Fuck me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you know, uh, there's also the really righteous Jewish ghost who is who is kind of a, a stereotype character you see in a lot of movies too, where there's like you know, the forces of good are always represented by uh, a really cool old Jewish guy like against the nazis that's just yep tale as old as tale as old as time tale as old as 1932 or something um uh, 1940s about like early, late 1930s early 1940s yeah world war Two. yeah so um one of the vampires is an evil nazi that the polish jewish ghost once fought uh the polish jewish ghost was once the um the Premier sacrifice polish monster hunter <laughs> yeah he was yeah he was also a monster hunter and he was a sacrifice for the last time they tried this shit, which definitely was yeah, not no, 500 was, years ago. So yeah, no, like the, the vampires uh, like mistimed it or something, and it was like the Polish ghost was the sacrifice to like bring Machado back to consciousness or existence, maybe or something. Yeah, I maybe think that's what it was. Maybe I don't know. Or they, or, or they, I think they just completely mistimed the ritual, and they're like, "Oh shit, we gotta wait like 60 years. Never mind." Yeah, and it's like, how did you mistime it if it's every 500 years? Like, it's not hard to do that math. I don't. And, and even if they did, like, you know, if they just didn't know it was 500 years, how do they know that now is the time to do it? Uh, yeah, it didn't, didn't make any sense. Uh, so so uh, Julie's mom attacks. Uh, she gets away, but, like, they take Grant with them. I believe that's when uh, Grant is absconded with. Yeah, I think so. And I thought Grant was the leak, but they never actually – there was, like, an intelligence leak. Um they knew somebody was leaking information. I fucking thought for sure it was Grant, but then it turns out not to be, but then they don't reveal who it was. So, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think it actually was just the reasoning was just like, oh, Julie's mom was a master vampire, so like she knows all the Monster Hunter shit already or something? Well, no, because they were getting current information, not like... Like shit that they had just done or decided. It wasn't. It wasn't like, oh, they're coming. Oh yeah, then I don't know whether where the fuck that. Plot yeah, it just went. it just never got resolved. Um, and like I don't know. There's there's a bunch of other battles that happen with monsters and like they they go to like uh the mental hospital that Julie's dad is in and like that's like that's how they they bust them out when the gargoyles attack the mental hospital yeah. and massacre like a bunch of patients because it's like a it's like a people that have been attacked by monsters mental hospital recovery thing that specializes in that. Yep. So there's, like, a focus group to talking about all their horrible experiences, including, like, some people that were in some kind of, like, vampire blood rape pit. Yeah, which is keep... which is what Holly also experienced, Holly Newcastle, which is why she's, she, like, yeah, doesn't like give a keep, fuck. The vampires will keep you in a pit and only drink so much of your blood so they can keep taking it instead of just having to kill a new victim every, like, month or so. Which is, hey, that's very environmentally conscious. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah very you economical. 
you want to be green as a vampire. <laughs> yeah, and then they and then they they do their part in um you know reusing and recycling by once they're you know once they're done with a body they cut it up and they feed it to the people in the pit so you know they're yeah you know just composting really yeah like... you know it's, it's a you know they're really trying to preserve the resources on the earth um you know? excuse me are these humans uh locally sourced i'm not going to drink any of this <laughs> blood that isn't i'm sorry was that one a stripper no i don't i don't eat strippers. i'm sorry uh did you humanely drain these uh victims <laughs> because i have kind of a thing against it <laughs> Yeah, that's that's kind of how. Yeah, it's 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 pretty weird, but I mean, I whatever. I don't think that's the worst idea. Um. Oh, let's talk about the thing that's kind of great. So, um, one of the hilarious, what we we think is a pretty original idea, uh, in this book, only is, in like the combination of two things, like the execution of it is still a stereotype cliche. Yeah, that's true. So in the book, um, there's an elf queen. Like elves are real. Um, also orcs are real, um, and they listen to heavy metal exclusively, uh, yes. and they're, they're like small though. They're like short. But they're like, but they're like Muslim orcs. Yeah. They're like they're tiny like, Muslim orcs. It's very have, weird. Like, w- like the helicopter pilot for, uh, Monster Hunter International is an orc that like wears a face mask all the time. And it's, he's revealed to be an orc later. He has like a weird halting way of talking. He has multiple wives that wear basically like burkas the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. They wear, um, uh. God, what's the what's the other word for that? I don't know. I can't remember. It, it's um, not the hijab. The hijab is just the regular. Yeah, that's just the headscarf. But yeah, all the women wear burkas and they have multiple wives. And uh, yeah, they're they live in this little village. But they're all like kind of short. They're not like Lord of the Rings orcs. They're like St- they're like stockily built. I wouldn't yeah, say like yeah, not like the uh, like dwarfism level or anything, but. But they're short and shorter, yeah. stockier built. Anyway, there's also elves and they're redneck trailer park elves. Yep, and it's hilarious. They go to see the elf queen, and uh, I. So th- when I was uh, reading this, one of the th- one of the things I was doing was reading it aloud to Paul because uh, he thought it was really funny, and so I was reading it aloud, not knowing that the next part coming up was the redneck trailer park elves. So I read everything with the voices and, <laughs> oh, good. Oh, good. <laughs> and it was great. Um, you know, uh, yeah. some folk will live in river run, but then again, some folk will like yeah. run the point eared uh, yoko. Yeah. So like, it's funny, but it's also sad because, Be- because I don't like, it's just, it's just I don't trailer wanna, park stereotypes. Yeah, like I don't the, wanna... the one elf is like skinny and like junky looking and he lives in like a piss stained trailer with like an old couch on the outside. He takes be- like tr- cheap beer as payment. The elf queen is like 500 pounds and like absurdly obese. And they all talk like, Hey, y'all come back now and fight that monster. You're here. Like, yeah, the elf queen says y'all and thams a lot uh yeah so it again it's just like an example of every character in this book being just like a walking cardboard stereotype that i've seen you've seen a hundred times before the redneck trailer elves would have been a cool idea if they were just they you know they happen to live in a trailer park and they were a little rednecky but not so over the fucking top yeah extreme redneck that like it just reads like pulpy trash honestly yeah it's not it's not good and and the elves and the orcs have a truce where they're not allowed to be on each other's land um and yeah i don't know that was kind of silly and entertaining for a minute but that but, was like the one spark yeah. of like maybe an original idea but not quite all the way yeah so. and then i don't know then they get to the final battle sequences where they get tricked into 
uh, almost all dying because Julie's dad gets vampire mind raped by his vampire wife and he's so in love with her that he'll do anything she wants as a vampire. She turns him, but nobody realizes he gets turned until, you know, it's way too late. They all think he's dead. Um, and he tells them like, oh, you have to go to the Natchy bottom. bottom. Like, is that even a place? I need to. I need. To, I need to. Google Probably this. not. It's just like an unnamed swamp, southern swampland somewhere in Alabama that is like supposedly extra rife with otherworldly. Like, it's it's probably one of the places of power, or it's suspected to be rather. And the, so, yeah, uh, Julie's dad says like, "Oh, you have to go there if you want to stop this ritual. You better go there to stop the master vampires." But it's just leading. Uh, the entirety, basically, of Monster Hunter International into a trap where they're attacked by the same horrible demon roach things that came out of the rift that Julie's dad opened up when he was originally looking for Julie's mom in hell or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, The same monsters attack them, and they're, like, lightning quick, and they stab people through the heart. And, like, literally everyone dies, actually. Like, every character in the book dies until... Pitt has an out-of-body experience, and, like, the Polish ghost leads him to a memory of the artifact, I think, or something. Yeah, yeah. And he can reach out and touch it with his mind, and he resets time back five minutes. Yeah, so they all die horrifically in this, like, people get their throats slit, they get fucking uh, mutilated with, um, like, like, uh, spears that, or talons that these weird uh otherworldly bugs have and uh, and then he yeah he just conveniently resets time because so so in this scene just like when he almost drowned in the beginning i'm like oh shit they're really gonna kill somebody like all these people are really dead oh shit yeah all right i'm I'm, i have a little respect for this book now and then he just resets time with his mind for reasons. Like, for it's reasons. Even, again, it's never clearly explained, like, exactly the mechanic. Like, it's really just, like, I thought about resetting time near the artifact, and then it worked. Also, the entire world experiences this five-minute, like, reset, and, like, everyone's, like, going crazy about it and, like, reporting it on the news. So I guess that whole monster thing keeping hush-hush isn't really working out anymore? Well, yeah, well... I mean, except nobody really knows why. They wouldn't connect it to monsters, necessarily. But it is weird that the whole world noticed it, um, except for people in time zones who were asleep. Like, nobody... They didn't. But anybody who was in a time zone, like, you know, the whole United States, basically, um, experienced it. And then... But then, like, eventually, the hype dies down on the media... I don't know. Um, <laughs> Everyone's just like, eh, yeah, whatever. I guess it's fine. We're, we're still here. It's yeah. Fine. So, so you know, when when the author's like, oh, I don't like, he's not perfect. I don't treat him good. It's like, he, you did make a perfect character, and yes, you do treat him, quote unquote, good. You, you literally um, reset time just so. Yeah, like... and you literally sent a a ghost to uh, hit the button on his um, uh, life vest so he didn't drown in like the first mission. Um, you also have a, a, you know, a ghost give him magic dreidels and like, yeah, it's, it's, you know, he gets the girl in the end because, he, oh, here, oh yeah, here's the other like unrealistic relationship thing. So remember how at the beginning we were talking about how Julie gives him a kiss on the cheek, uh, mysteriously. And so her fucking boyfriend, Grant, disappears, like gets kidnapped by vampires and like within a few hours, she's already having an affair with Pitt. 
Yeah, she's like on his dick immediately. Yeah. Like she doesn't get, give a fuck about that dude. Like she was, she tries to present as like, oh, I care about Granny's my boyfriend. But like the second he's fucking gone, like she forgets about him almost entirely. She yep. doesn't even like mention feeling guilty about it or anything. Uh, she, like, d- she does briefly. She There's like one or two short conversations they have where she's like, oh, I know, I know it just doesn't, I know, but I've always like, and then she says later, like, I've always knew, I've always known that. You were the one for me from the first time I met you. I love you. Blah, blah, blah. And he, what? Like. That's, yeah. Look, it, you know the real reason here. It's because Pitt is such a superior masculine specimen that she yeah. just has. Like, every, everyone knows that if a woman lays eyes on a hot enough dude that they just have to give up what they have now. Yeah, and, and also everyone. The, the, the possibly the strongest man ever because that's <laughs> that's immediately all the relationship you've built in the past year or whatever with this person is out the window just because you saw someone cuter or something. Or yeah, yeah, and also stronger ever, or what have you. Everyone or, knows how flighty and flaky women are. Like the second you're out of the picture for twelve hours, she's gonna jump on a new dick. Like that's, yeah, that's not gotta, how people. That's why, are... that's why you gotta stalk her all the time, check her messages, check her phone all the time, <laughs> yeah. to make sure she's not cheating. <laughs> I mean, sure. Some people are shitheads, and regardless of gender, and they're gonna they're gonna do things like that. But uh, but that's and, not how a person would behave if they were no. just like if your boyfriend has gotten kidnapped. Like he didn't break up with you or like treat you like an asshole. He was kidnapped by a fucking vampire or something. Yep. And you're like, oh shit, I don't feel bad about that because <laughs> yeah. And uh, I don't know. I mean. And that, you know, I while I did just say, like, doesn't make any sense, there are some reasons to believe that that might be something someone would do in that situation, considering they all think the world is going to end in a couple days. So maybe she's just like, fuck it. I want to I want to have some hot, steamy love the last three days I'm alive. And so in in that setting, I can kind of eh, maybe that's, that's totally not the reason she gets. She doesn't like use that as like, oh, well, the world's going to end, baby. Let's just get it. on. No, no, fucking, she, like- she doesn't. But I'm saying my interpretation of it, you know, is that... Your headcanon for this. <laughs> yeah. But, um, like, also, I will say mercifully, like, I was totally expecting there to be, like, a fucking... Oh, my God. Scene. I know. I was so happy. Thank you. Mercifully, she just, like, drags him into, like, a side room before they go out on their final mission. And it just Boulder. fades to black and... But, like, but like, dude, Larry Korea, thank you. Thank you yeah. for not so writing for th- yeah, a sex scene into this gratitude. book. I'll Ugh. extend my gratitude for that. And I think, is it because he's a Mormon? I feel Maybe, like that's like why. Maybe, like, he just doesn't know how it works. <laughs> no, I mean, he has four kids. I'm sure he knows how to fuck, but, like... I maybe just... they maybe because they weren't married they just soaked for a while. Oh, um... <laughs> why? Why? Oh god. Oh, I just hate that concept. Oh, I'm sorry. I think you clipped your mic real good with that. I'm one, so. sorry. Oh, just the uh... Uh, okay, well, go ahead. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't know what that is, go ahead and Google that. We're not going to get into it here. Oh uh, yeah. Just, anyway, just type the words "Mormon soaking." Uh, <laughs> no, don't, don't, because then you're going to be on a list. You're going to be on a list. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it might be because of his faith that he doesn't go into that kind of detail. And I, man, am I happy about that? So even though the main character isn't Mormon, like the author, um, Mormonism does kill a vampire, right? I think it just slows a vampire down because, like, while they're heading to, like, the after this Natchi Bottom thing, they've, like, oh, I found out where Lord Machado really is and where the Master Vampires really are. So, like, the MCB and MHI all go to this one spot and surround them and they start getting into a fight with the Master Vampires. Yep. And it, like, they pour, like, 
thousands and thousands of bullets and explosives into like these vampires and it doesn't do shit to them yeah so, like, why'd you if it's not gonna work why would you bother bringing that shit like it doesn't do anything. A va- like a, a van explodes over a fucking master vampire and like it's still alive. Yeah, it's and then the the military almost nuked the whole area just to deal with it, but then they didn't. If a fucking va- like I don't even know if that would work. If just thousands, like literally, like every single fucking bullet from every angle possible was thrown at these vampires and they're just still coming at all the fucking military or monster hunter international people. So I don't understand why you would even bring out all these weapons that don't even really fucking work. Well, I mean, they, they say that they know that they're not going to kill them. They just need to slow them down and like break their bodies down enough that they can stake them and cut their heads off, you know? Um, so, but it's like eh. literally like entire regiments are firing at this fucking <laughs> at these vampires and like they're not yeah. really that slowed down at all. They're still advancing at a fairly rapid rate. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, like I don't even know how do they even end up winning. I don't remember. It, there's it's like because Pit goes into like the pocket dimension. Oh yeah, they go Lord into the pocket Machado dimension. Is in. So there's like the, there's yep. like a pyramid that they're standing on with the artifact and. Lord Machado, like, reconstitutes Karinha because he had, like, her bones from before. She, like, the the Thrall guy originally killed the priestess. So Machado saved her bones. Yep. So he could resurrect her. Around, like, a bag of bones around with him for, like, 500 years. And he resurrects her in this pocket dimension using part of himself. So she's, like, also just, like, a bubbling mass of ichor and tentacles or some shit. Yeah, and she but slowly it, starts But she's totally form. in the sexy shape of a lady. She's a sexy blob. Yeah, she's a very. He's very clear that she is. She is getting her womanly form back in that blob. Yeah. Um. And yeah, like fucking big surprise. She turns out to be an evil trickster. Like was super obvious. And I think that's the thing about this book that are you know like everything's a stereotype. Even the plot is stereotypical. Like all the evil people are all uh, backstabbing each other all the time. Like. Uh, but okay, okay. Like while we're here, like, how, what was the priestess's plan? Like she, she. So it turns out like Pitt is the really the chosen one. And, like the priestess knows that, and he's like the true gateway to the elder god dimension to like unleash them into the world. And but she is actually an elder, an eldritch horror god. She is like, actually um, Tiamat or yeah. something, right? Um, yeah. yeah, she is. She's like. You puny mortals have worship, worshipped me for thousands of years, at, like, leaving me little statues and bleh, I fucking hate this. Like, I'm just here to try to find the chosen one so I can bring all my friends. Like, what? It just... <sighs> yeah, so the her, like, as I understand it, her plan was, like... So she knew it, that Pitt was going to be, like, the real gateway, I think. I don't think when Machado was around that she thought he was going to be the true key. He was actually ended up being like the sacrifice needed because um, the thrall shows up again at the, in the nick of time for reasons and he subdues Machado, but turns out that's what the priestess wanted so she could open the portal using yeah, Machado so, as a sacrifice yeah. for Pit as the real catalyst. Yep, yep. So, so because why Pit... did she bother kidnapping Grant at all? Because Grant was originally at in this pocket dimension on the altar as the sacrifice. Yeah, but she didn't but kidnap him. Machado did. All. Also, if they needed a hunter for the sacrifice, supposedly Machado's not really a hunter. So what the fuck? Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, that whole thing was weird. I mean, yeah, it turns out Karinaha is actually like Tiamat and she's a servant of the old ones. 
And But it's like, if you have that much power, like, why couldn't you just open the highway to the fucking danger zone? Like, I don't <laughs> get it. It has to be a human. It has to be the chosen one. Like With a connection ugh. to the artifact that he has because, like, he happens to be the chosen. It's a very circular thing. Like, Yeah, I don't get it. He and... doesn't ever really earn anything. He doesn't yeah. earn the chosen one status through any hardship. He's just, like, a fucking badass dude from the beginning. And it's not like he develops or changes at all. He doesn't learn a lesson. He just is awesome all the time, and he's been the chosen one. And yep. he, because he's a good guy, he decides to use the artifact to seal Tiamat away instead of using it to open a portal. Like, just because oh, yeah. he's a and decent then, guy. Oh, yeah. Then let's so talk if about... you're Karinha slash Tiamat, and you're betting on the chosen one opening the portal, and he has to be a has bad intentions to do it... Why would you place all your bets on that if he can just decide not to, if he's a good guy? Yeah, and, and like, it also... Wait, did you go over how when she was talking to Lord Machado 500 years prior and was like, you are the chosen one, it was because Owen was in his mind reliving the yeah, situation so she and like, she just knew he was there in his mind and was saying yeah. that to Pitt? So like, she was what? talking to Pitt really through the Polish ghost... It, Be, and the, and the Polish ghost was attached to Machado because he was like one of the original hunters of Machado. No, he wasn't one of the original hunters because he existed in the like twenties and thirties and forties. Sure, but like he he had a thing against Machado. Like he was hunt. He was like oh yeah, he was he was studying him. Yeah, that's true. So I don't like, I don't understand how the the plot comes together like that. Why didn't the why didn't Corhana just wait until pit time? She had to set up Machado as the sacrifice, but why does Machado have to be the sacrifice? I yeah, it's I don't know. I mean, it's it's not a great. It's never clearly outlined. Plot. None of the mechanics of this final ritual are ever clearly outlined, or the reason behind anyone's plans. Why are the master vampires working with Machado? And like, once the priestesses backstab them, why don't they go after the priestess or like join her yeah, too? Yeah, yeah, and then just oh, out hey. of the picture. Yeah, and then like the ultimate question is, why didn't she just wait? Uh, you know, a cup like another five hundred years for Pitt and skip the whole Machado thing. Like, why was that necessary? I mean, she could have just, you know, reincarnated herself as Julie or someone like Julie to get Pitt to fall in love with her, and then just have the initial gateway. Yeah. Right. Like, like yeah. if if she's fucking all knowing so- <laughs> and like, and she just... doesn't mind like fucking a dude to like get him on her their side or whatever yeah it makes no goddamn sense by like, the way have you ever had elder god pussy before because it is insane let me tell you <laughs> it literally drives you mad <laughs> <laughs> i've done things that no man should have done um her hmm. unknowable vaginal walls had strange geometry. Oh. I <laughs> yeah, I got in there and then I don't know. I didn't... It took a left turn somehow, but also <laughs> up at the same time. And also I was being penetrated somehow. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's incomprehensible. It's incomprehensible. Yeah. Just like this plot. Um. <laughs> yeah, the, that's, that's really what this is. Yeah, it's just like this is the Elder God's plot to get into our minds. Yeah, I just through terrible book club. They're going to open a portal into the Nether Realm, and we're all horribly fucked. Yeah, watch out, guys. Oh yeah, and then let's let's talk about how he and Julie get saved at the last minute when so they're in this pocket dimension, and once he defeats, uh, you know, everybody, the pocket dimension starts crumbling with them in it. And by the way, he literally just defeats them by just like thinking it or something. Yeah, right? yeah, he like, just he just, just makes like, the uh, choice. 
I'm not going to let this happen. The end. So the pocket dimension starts crumbling. Yep. And so uh, everything dies. Everything's crumbling. He and Julie are in really bad shape. Um, So Julie gets saved. (gasps) So this is the second time Julie has been killed. Uh, And the first time he reversed time to save all of his friends, Julie and himself. This time, Julie is saved by uh, a glorious plot device known as... Known as... The Thrall's black goo. So, so the Thrall, the weird Viking guy who's the guardian of the artifact, who's supposed to keep it away from the Eldritch Gods, you know, or or anyone trying to mess with it for evil means, he was, he got the weird black ichor on him like 500 years ago, and it it kind of like merged with his physical being in the form of like a weird tattoo. And then uh, once everything everyone got beaten his skin started peeling off with it and like the black shit went back into the artifact which is oh, sorry i just whacked the mic um which is like a cool visual whatever fine sure um and so the, it's describing him as all of his all of his skin being torn off and he's just like eyeballs and and uh muscle tissue and teeth but then con- and he's been dead for pages for pages he's been totally gone and yeah. then suddenly he comes back and smears one little black fucking uh like it's like he smears a fucking uh boba like onto julie's (laughs) onto julie's neck and it it heals her wound and she lives yeah like fuck you and then um they're they're about to die anyway and of course uh somehow the orc pilot I don't know, like, saves them while they're falling in midair from the pocket dimension. Yeah. And, and they, like, they like at the last minute, Owen grips the, the ladder with one hand. This is what you were thinking of. He's holding Julie with one arm, oh, falling yeah, okay, from here's... the sky from a pocket dimension, and somehow latches onto this moving ladder on a helicopter with one arm. It's fine. He's totally fine. <laughs> he should be fine because, like, throughout the book, let's, let's, how about this is the uh, point we take. We need to describe both all of his injuries and how Mormonism <laughs> kills a vampire eventually. But right now, all of Owen's injuries, he gets, like, he's roughed up by the werewolf and he scratched it up pretty fucking good. He, like, on the way and out of the mental... And it took him ho- weeks to heal from that, right? Weeks. Yeah. Yeah, he's attacked in, in, d- during the boat mission by a vampire, too. I don't know if he's, like, actually hurt that much. During the escape from the mental hospital with Julie's dad, he literally, like, drags his leg across the road at high speed. So he has, like, extreme road rash on his legs and chest. And his, I know, I think it was his arm and, le- I don't know, I think it was his arms, but whatever. Um, and, and like he, he gets shot, like, once, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, but he has, a, I think he had a Kevlar vest on, so yeah. he just got, you know, a little brutalized from that, but... Yeah, I mean, he gets he gets totally destroyed in all these fights, and all of these fights all happen in the span of what, like a week or something? A week or two tops. Like, yeah. all, like from like the boat mission to the end of the book is like a couple of weeks. I think it's one week. Yeah, it might be just a single. It, it's week. like yeah, it's like something ridiculous like that. Where, I mean, and they and they they kind of like you know Larry kind of uh, glosses over some some of it because the orc uh, the orc pilot's wife is like a, a mystical healer. And helps out with a lot of their injuries by accelerating their healing. But, I mean, it's not, it's accelerated, but not like, oh, the next day I'm totally healed. It's like, oh, wow, you know, in a week or two I'll be healed instead of a month. But it just doesn't make any sense that he's, this guy is this fucking tough. Yeah. It is extreme toughness beyond any action movie I've seen before. (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, we're talking well beyond the Terminator here. Uh, yeah. All and, right, so another thing here, let's talk about how Mormonism makes a brief appearance in the book <laughs> when during this one like final battle scene with one of the master vampires, I believe it's Milo, mm-hmm. sort of the Mormon gunsmith character. Yeah, yeah. Like, he, they're cornered by a va- master vampire in a cave, and so he runs up to the vampire and, like, smiles and says, you gotta have faith, and then a white light engulfs him. Yeah. Then, I don't know, like, they, the rest of the team runs away, and I believe that vampire comes back, like, 30 pages later. Yeah, it's it's just all really dumb. Uh, and... Because, yeah, in the book, they talk about how religion, like, some of the hunters have faith and some don't. Um, but apparently, if you really believe, you can hurt monsters with your faith, no matter what faith it is. So if you really believe in God or if you really believe in, I don't know, your pet lizard being the Messiah, like you can hurt something with that belief. And that's sure. really dumb. Again, another vague mechanic that never really gets elucidated on clearly at all that we're just supposed to accept works. Yeah. And that's and that's why the, the, the dreidels work, because they were made with Jewish belief. I don't know. Yeah. It's it's weird. Um, so something else I want to touch upon uh so Owen is described as, like we said, you know, uh, a mutt, and he knows all these languages, and his, I think his grandparents on his mom's side were, like, Serbian or Croatian or, you know, something. Um, his dad's name is Alhangamea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I that. read that and went, what the fuck? You are intentionally <laughs> being esoteric. Like, uh, what is that? So I had to look it up. So I actually spent a little bit researching uh, what that even means. So Alhangamea uh, is, it's a, um, uh, the the Ava Alhangamea is a, I'm not really sure how to describe this, a strait in the waters of Tonga. Okay. Um, so I'm like, okay, it's a Tongan word. That's uh, kind of nuts, like a Polynesian. So his dad is Polynesian, I guess. Uh, and it means, Ahungamea means, um, uh, panting to destroy things. Uh, okay. and it, it, it has become in, uh, so I, sorry, I, this is where I'm getting this information. So I found a, uh, an academic article in the Jersian, Jer, Jersian, oh my God, I'm sorry. I, I'm just drinking a coffee now. It's like fucking five o'clock. I'm, I'm all fucked up. So I'm reading an article in the Journal of, po- of the Polynesian Society about um, linguistic change in, in Polynesian area, specifically in Tonga. And this person breaks down how Ohanga Mea's present pronunciation means the place where things are destroyed or lost. Um, and it's, it's because, uh, the name was given to the strait in Tonga because there was an, there's like, uh, something passed down in oral history in the Tonganese or Tongans. I'm sorry. I'm not really sure which, uh, where some, some person in, in time named, I, I'm going to butcher this, uh, Sisi Mata Alila, uh, something like that, sure. whose, uh, carelessness caused the bag of curses to be opened Oh, no. uh, while a boat was crossing it, and this caused the loss of lives and every possession, including the boat, and only one person escaped to tell of the fate that had befallen them. I'm so, picturing an infomercial. We're like, are you tired of spilling all your curses out of your bag while fording a river? There's got to be a better way. <laughs> yeah, Ooh, so... Curse shut. <laughs> so, yeah, so I'm not... I don't... 
I mean, I don't really know how he came across this because I had to do like 15 to 20 minutes of digging on the internet, which is kind of longer than any other thing I've ever had to research, <laughs> you sure. know, for, for like a terrible book. Sure. Um, and I had to go dig into an academic journal to find this. So it was kind of weird that he chose this name. I, I don't know if maybe he just knew about the, the place name, like the, the straight in the waters off of Tonga, perhaps. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, so his dad's name means like the place where things are destroyed or lost. So I guess that has some significance. Yeah, to like the book. a really weird moment for me too. Where I was like, oh, okay, sure, whatever, and like I just kept cr cr trekking along with the rest of the nonsense in the book. It was like too minute of a thing for me to like spend too much time on. Yeah, like Ahanamea, like who is named that? I mean, it's it seems like it is a name some people have, but it, it's just it just seems a strange choice. And like also that means that his mom was Serber Croatian and his dad was Tongan. So that's fucking weird. I mean, I mean you know, don't shame people's relation. Like I'm not, not shaming them. I'm just saying it's, it's highly uh, unlikely. I feel like that's what makes him the chosen one. Actually. Right. That's, that's yeah. Why, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, of course he just has to choose these like really out of the way ethnicities for this guy to have. Um, be yeah. Because he can't just be, a dude, he has to be a really cool dude. He's like Polynesian and Serbo Croatian and like Even though has he described this mystical... as like extremely white dude. Yeah, and like that and that's what I was gonna talk about next is how he's supposed to have this very weird background. Turns out he's Tongan and Serbo Croatian, yet he's this six five white looking dude. Like, I don't I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. I mean genetics okay, like genetics are obviously um 100% hard like this will always happen this way exactly you know there, there's always like i for example i'm i'm a great uh example of that i look nothing like my family on either side so both sides of my family are uh you know they're like mediterranean skin brown eyes brown hair like all the way no one's even blonde but i'm red-haired blue-eyed pale like i don't look anything like them and that's because i just somehow got all the recessive traits it happens sometimes. Sure. But. Yeah, it's, yeah. Really weird. it's just a weird thing. That yeah. It, I, it, it reads more like just extra cool details for a super cool guy. <laughs> yeah, it, I guess that's the point I'm getting at is it doesn't feel like organic. You know, it feels like very forced. Um, yeah. 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 Anyway, so we're still kind of at the end here where the pockets of it's just closing. Uh, Owen has. Oh, yeah. The evil people oh, yeah. Back with, to the book. With a thought. Because he's the chosen one and he can just do that. And then uh, everything wraps up nicely. Uh, Julie and him move into her family home. Her mom leaves him a letter from that says like, Oh, yeah, yeah sorry about that whole attack and you guys think we'll leave you yeah, alone. Though. It's so what? nice to see you, honey. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And then, of course, the ending is um, Owen has a ring for Julie that she actually found early. So the ending is her going, By the way, Owen... Yes. Yes. <laughs> no, thank you. Sorry, no, I know, I know, you. I know. It sounds like Chris and I are like eight-year-olds sometimes. It's just yeah. because, it just the, the way things happen in these books are just so un, so unlikely and so annoyingly stereotypical. It, but it's just like another cliche like stereotype, like oh, at the end, like he gets the girl and she says yes to marry him. They live happily ever after. Blah 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 blah. Also, Grant, I, I think Grant just, like, left or something. I don't think he died. Yeah, like, he doesn't die. He just, he just resigns from Monster Hunter International. 
because and like he reasons. has nothing to say about Julie like shacking up with his like uh, rival I guess at that point well Julie who is still technically his girlfriend because they never actually broke up they have like an argument behind a wall one time before he's kidnapped and that's about it <laughs> yeah and they, they have an argument over him uh leaving Owen to die but she kind of like forgives him and he's just like oh I'm such I made such a mistake and she's like yeah you know everyone makes mistakes and like that's just kind of how they end it and then he gets kidnapped and then they save him from the vampire pit and that's it they don't they never actually there's never a clean breakup with owen i mean with uh sorry with uh grant and he He just just resigns he he just accepts it i guess and like even though he's like a wicked upfront douchey guy that will get in your face about shit uh stealing your girl though he he'll just let that go yeah when at the beginning of the book the whole time he didn't like owen because he knew that owen had a crush on julie and was always up in his shit about it and they actually got into a fight on the uh, the boat after everything was said and done because Owen was like, you fucking left me to die and, like, pushed him off the boat. Yeah. Uh, but he's gonna, just going to let it slide now, I guess, because, yeah. well, everyone knows Owen and Julie were really meant to be because she's the perfect lady and he's a 63-inch massive one. tit p- chosen one. <laughs> chosen one. And that's how the book ends, is that, you know, supposedly they're going to go on more adventures because there's more books in this fucking series. Uh, I think there's, like, uh, hang on, let me go to the website real quick. I, think I don't think like we really, we really, I don't think we really have to know exactly how many books there are because I'm not planning on reading anymore. Uh, no, just... no. I mean, and, and that said, I kind of feel like if I had picked this up at, like, the age of 12, I would have been like, oh, wow, cool, but it's... Yeah, like, if you haven't encountered all these samey, like I said, cliches before. Right. If it was, like, your first taste of that, it would seem really cool and partly motherfucker it might be like the yeah. in the world. oh yeah there's five books the last of which was published in 2014 um and this right. is uh these are put out by bain publishing b-a-e-n they're a major science fiction publisher so yeah um you know it it entertains people people like it because it's entertaining not because it's good and <laughs> it's definitely pop thing and like he yeah. does say like oh this is influenced by b movies and stuff but like yeah. at the same time like you don't that doesn't mean you have to just have a completely nonsensical plot yeah i just i so i think that this could have been a good book if if like 10 things were changed so i guess i guess that's a kind of a lot um Basically, if he put more care into writing characters that had some identity and depth to them right and if if he didn't just write in the style that he writes in as himself, it would yeah. also be better. Um, this is just a random aside. I was just looking to see how many other books he had written, but he he's also featured in We Wish You a Cosmic Christmas, edited oh. by Hank Davis, which is a, a bunch of sci-fi things that center around Christmas. I, you know. Yeah. Uh, sure. Okay. Um, Whatever, guys. But, so... I used to think that Bane publishing, like, when he, when I noticed it was published by Bane, I was like, oh, I feel like I've heard that before. Like, I think um, Tor Science Fiction is probably the leading publisher. Yeah. And then you have, like, Penguin that just puts out fucking everything, all kinds of stuff. And I was like, oh, yeah, I think Bane does have a lot of stuff. But Bane has, oh, my God, they have signed so many authors. Like, I I don't even know if it's notable to be picked up by then by them anymore. Like it probably just means like you are good enough to write like a co- vaguely coherent plot that isn't total garbage. Yeah, they have they have a lot of people. Even though like it, when you go roster. through this book, like nothing mechanically makes sense. It's just like if if you're on the level of like, well, just accept that it works, then it kind of works. But even then, so I don't know. 
maybe it's just like if you can string 800 pages together they'll publish you yeah i feel like that is it um they actually have a podcast for their publishing series uh that's fairly up to date looks like they publish like every week they put out a All podcast right. episode. Maybe we can mine that for some. <laughs> oh my god! Larry Korea recently did uh, Larry Korea on Monster Hunter series part two. Uh, he was on April twenty eighth, twenty seventeen, twenty uh, April twenty first, and April twenty eighth, talking about the Monster Hunter series. Fuck! I wish I had known oh, that yeah, so we could listen to it before. Some supplemental listening. Well, uh, shit. Jesus. Well. Well, guys, if you're not sick of this glorious book and topic, be sure to check out the author. Yeah, if we haven't talked your ear off enough uh, already, because this is a fucking lengthy episode, it looks like. Oh, yeah. Sorry, guys. Um, uh, so, oh, I mean, no, I guess, it's still it's so long. Oh, God, yeah. it's like an hour and 40 minutes. I'm sorry, yeah, everyone. We'll see. We'll see how this, uh, if we have to chop it up or not. I hope not, but we'll see. So I guess that this is the point where we wrapped up everything. Do you have anything else to cover for this uh, romp through bullets and monsters so many bullets i think that we talked about everything um i guess right now we just need to decide what we're gonna read next i have no idea right now so if you if y'all once again if you listeners have suggestions please comment and send messages or what have you the more we hear suggestions from you, the better, honestly. Yeah, and I, I think I think I just want to thank Larry Carrillo one last time for not writing okay. a sex scene into this book. Okay, yeah, like, let's, let's make sure. I'm sorry, but I know that sounds ridiculous, but I just we've read so many books with bad sex scenes. I just I was so glad that there wasn't. Yeah, one. I, I was ready for like extended like gun firing metaphors and stuff like <laughs> yeah, that. like he came inside her like an AR-15. Yeah, oh, I was. I, that's what I was rapidly, waiting. Rapidly, rapidly. <laughs> he he unloaded his clip inside. Uh, you know, like that's what I was expecting, and it was just really great to not have to go through that. Yeah. So th- thank you, Larry. Yeah. For that. Thanks. Even even though I didn't love this book, and I do think it is kind of terrible. Like, thank you for that. Um, and thank you for at least making some fun to read fight scenes, you know. Yeah, there was some good action in there. There was some good action in there if you like the idea of just millions of bullets flying from all angles at all times. (laughs) And thank you to the listeners of Terrible Book Club for us. I I mean, I'm guessing you sat through most of this. Maybe you're skimming at this rate. Yeah, for this one hour and 45 minute long episode. Yeah. I hope, right. I hope you did all your dishes, did all your laundry, cleaned no, your house. You sh- no, you should be doing this while you're, like, you should be listening while you're doing that stuff, probably. So if you have an extended cleaning session to do, <laughs> yeah, here we are to talk about uh, the monster hunters in black or whatever. Yeah, so, um, yeah, please, if you've gotten this far, send us suggestions for a new book. Although we may just pick one uh, pretty soon because it's always, getting on like, in September. So The more communication we get out of people, the more, you know, if we can improve the podcast or, yeah. you know, if you have suggestions or concerns or something like that, feel free to yak about them at us. Yeah. And, uh, I guess we should probably pick a Halloweeny book for October. Um, Ooh, yeah, I guess the I last mean, time we the... did a book in October, it was moon people by Dale Courtney, right. which I recently oh, cool. posted. Yeah, I, have, I have to re-listen to that maybe. To um, see. And, and I don't remember much from that at all. Uh, you pretended to be a spooky dead ghost throughout the episode, which I had forgotten about. It was oh, funny. Okay. Um, <laughs> So oh, yeah. yeah, so maybe we'll pick something, I guess, also with monsters in it, maybe. So you'll get a double dose of monsterism. <laughs> yeah. But uh, for now, thank you. If you've listened, if you've actually sat through all of this, thank you. Uh, we will try to be a we little bit more brief. We had to sit brief. through all that book, so you know. It was uh, 713 pages. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's gonna, it's yeah. going to be a long episode when the book is that long. Sure. So uh, anyway, thanks, guys. We'll, uh, we'll catch you in October. All right. Bye, Barry. Bye, Chris. Bye.